Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting-edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by generous grants from the Bush Foundation and Comcast. This Ed Talk focuses on learn to read, learn to lead. Our featured speaker is Dr. Artika Tyner. Dr. Tyner is a passionate educator, author, and advocate for justice. A professor at the University of St. Thomas School of Law, she is founding director of the school's Center on Race, Leadership, and Social Justice, where she trains students to serve as social engineers and create new inroads to justice and freedom. Dr. Tyner also provides leadership development, coaching, and resources for young people and adults, organizes policy campaigns, fosters restorative justice practices, develops social entrepreneurship initiatives, and promotes asset-based community development. The founder of Planting People, Growing Justice, she has been featured in a variety of media outlets and has received over two dozen awards for her leadership and service from the American Bar Association and several other organizations. This virtual Ed Talk was originally live-streamed online on October 5th, 2020. My mantra as a teacher is, we see a problem, we create a solution. What that really means for me is training the next generation of leaders, preparing them to use their critical thinking skills, their analytical skills to make an impact in the community. So when I think about that and I open my lecture with, we see a problem, we create a solution, it's really about a leadership challenge. And when I'm talking about leadership, I'm not referring to a position or a title. I'm really talking about our ability to use our influence to make a difference and make an impact in the community and world around us. And there's no time like the present with so many pressing social justice issues surrounding us in our communities, in our homes, and in our schools. And who's better positioned to do this and take on this role? Teachers and educators. History has shown us that educators have been at the forefront of social change. And when we think about it, they're really serving the role of being lead problem solvers. So when I talk about a lead problem solver and who a lead problem solver is, it's someone who uses their training as a tool to create access to justice. It's someone who eradicates inequities. And as an attorney, I also think about it in this capacity, ensuring equal justice under the law. And we have some trailblazers that we can emulate. For instance, Mary McLeod Bethune, who gave us that mantra around servant leadership, who reminded us for students that they enter the school to learn and lead, leave to serve. We also have Dr. Benjamin E. Mays, who gives us a clear sense about expectations and ensuring that we're inspiring our young people to lead change in the future. He reminds us that the greatest failure of life is related to low aim. So what we have to then provide our young people and provide our students with the aspiration and the expectation that they are the leaders of today, tomorrow, and in the future. And just in case we look at it as a good metaphor, we also have to think about leading what? What will be the impact of leadership? And I'd like to look to Dr. King for that answer. He reminds us that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. And if you think about that, that sounds nice, but former President Barack Obama takes us a step further. He reminds us that it does not bend on its own. So when we think about leadership, when we think about my mantra, we see a problem, we create a solution, it's really us about us being those benders and those leaders. So we first have to ask ourselves, what is the problem that we seek to solve? What's our passion? 
And when I think about it, it's really asking, what is your leadership story? So I'll tell you a little bit about mine. Who am I? Well, for me, my problem that I'm seeking to solve is ending mass incarceration. And that issue has been a challenge for me ever since I was a child. I was a child witness to the war on drugs. So I saw our moms, our dads, aunts and uncles, neighbor and friends enter into the prison gates for nonviolent drug offenses. But what happened was not just that they returned back home with a permanent scarlet letter that read F for felon. What happened to them was something much bigger with a myriad of different challenges. They returned back home with restricted access to jobs, to housing, to education, and even voting. If we look at one additional aspect of the challenge, I call this the tangled web of mass incarceration. I gave you just one dimension with the impact of the war on drugs. But also as an educator, I'd be remiss if I did not mention the school to prison pipeline. And when we think about this, this is the referrals from the classroom to the courtroom for issues related to school disciplinary matters and also zero tolerance policies. Let's put it into perspective. On an annual basis, over three million children are referred out of the classroom for suspensions. That means that's enough children to fill every NFL stadium combined across the nation. So we know when children are not in the classroom receiving instruction, when they're not in the classroom learning, it also increases their likelihood of future incarceration. So when we look at this, we then see that if we're going to take this into perspective, we need to understand who's impacted and what exactly is mass incarceration. So I described it as a tangled web. So let's get a sense of what that web looks like. America can be considered as the incarceration capital of the world. That's because we have about 5% of the world's population and over 20% of the world's prison population. Coupled with that, one in three Americans have a criminal record. That's over 70 million people. But here's the piece that we often don't talk about is a sense that race also matters. But I'll start off by dispelling a myth. When I bring up this data, it's not that African Americans commit crimes at a higher rate. It's also not that we use drugs at a higher rate. These are all myths and stereotypes. It's actually how the system impacts us all the way from policing to sentencing. There's bias throughout. So then what do we see? The research from Michelle Alexander that she talked about in her book, The New Jim Crow, we get a sense then that there are more African American males under the control of the correction system than who were enslaved in the 1800s. And then when we look at children, we see that a black boy born in 2000s, in the early 2000s, has a one in three chance of going to prison in his lifetime. I think we've become comfortable with sharing that data with each other. But unfortunately for me, I feel a little bit like the late Marvin Gaye. It makes me wanna holla. This is unacceptable. We can no longer afford to recite this data without coming up with practical solutions. And I'll tell you what my solution was. As I mentioned earlier, plenty of entry points, far too many, and far fewer exit points out of the system and tangled web of mass incarceration. So instead of just lamenting the problem again, having another conversation, saying, isn't that a shame? I decided to take action. Remember I said, we see a problem, we create a solution. I brought my friends together right into my living room. And I started to talk about this data, especially as it relates to literacy. We talked about the sense that many of my clients learned how to read when they were in prison. And when I think about, once again, that that is unacceptable, it means that my clients did not understand the cases that were against them. They didn't understand their indictments. They couldn't understand what was happening with the evidence. 
But it also meant that there was an opportunity that just maybe, just maybe, if we address some of these literacy gaps, that we would be able to close out one of those entry points into this tangled web. So this is what you need to know. Depending on which study you're looking at, over 60% of the prison population is illiterate. How does that relate to literacy gaps? When one in four children in America are not reading at grade level by fourth grade, that increases their likelihood of dropping out of school, but it also increases their likelihood of future incarceration by over three times, 3.5 times to be exact. So it then begs the question, what can we do? We decided to take action by creating a campaign called the Leaders Are Readers campaign. So remember that group of friends coming together? We sat down and we thought, what could we do to bring forth meaningful change? So with the Leaders Are Readers campaign, the first thing that we did, we decided to publish our own children's book. And for us, that was our first step in promoting literacy. And the book was about a little girl named Justice. And she learns an important lesson, because remember I said as an educator, I'm committed to training the next generation of leaders. She learns a leadership lesson. Her grandmother teaches her, although she's eight years old, she's never too young to make a difference. That's for all of us. You're never too young, you're never too old to start with where you are. So with starting where you are, she's inspired by heroes and sheroes who decide to pick up that mantle of leadership. So one example is Dr. Wangari Matai of Kenya. She makes a decision in her fight for environmental justice to plant one seed, to plant a tree. And she talked about how planting trees would plant hope in the community. And you know what happens next. Once you get started, others start to join you. So mothers, daughters, aunties, grandmamas, they all came together and they started planting trees. The impact was what we know today, her organization is called the Green Belt Movement. And there have been over 50 million trees planted as a part of this movement. So why does this matter as a lesson for young people? It reminds them that it's not where they start, but how they finish. And it also reminds them to take that first step, that first action step, and in becoming a leader, that when they see a problem, they can create solutions as well. It wasn't just enough to deal with this issue about having a book and getting the books in the hands of children. We started to experience another problem that we needed to address. And this was specifically related to promoting diversity in books. So as we looked at the possibility of what we could do, one book wasn't enough. So we started to create a whole collection of racially diverse books. And what we found when we started to look at the data was it was important to create both mirrors and windows for children. So when we think about the importance of books, how can we create an interest in reading when the books don't reflect the people who are reading them? So we were left with a bit of a pondering of a question. How could it be that you're more likely to see a book cover with a main character, protagonist, as a black dog or a black bear versus seeing a black girl or a black boy? Why am I saying that? Because you can look at the data. 27% of books represent an animal on the front for children's book, where only 10% of books represent an African-American main ca character. We were able to change that with our books as well, based upon that notion that you can't be what you cannot see. So we were able to also help to promote diversity in books in meaningful ways to help increase interest in reading. Very important, mirrors so our young black children could see themselves. That's that sense that Lorraine Hansberry talks about, that you're young, gifted, and black. 
So a sense of empowerment, but also windows across cultures that we can be able to see into other cultures, appreciate other cultures, while also celebrating our differences in meaningful ways. So this was for all children and for all families. This was inspired by my leadership theory, which is called Planting People, Growing Justice. This emerged as I continued to ask questions. What steps do we need to take to build and sustain social change? How do we bring forth meaningful change in our communities? And more importantly, who is going to lead that charge? And guess what? That's you and I. So you may be wondering, what is Planting People, Growing Justice? Planting People has been inspired by the image of the banyan tree. And what makes that tree unique? I had a chance to see it when I was in Hawaii, and I was in awe. It's one of the only trees that grows new roots from its branches. I think that's the perfect image of community, that we're all interconnected and that we're growing intergenerationally on this quest to bring forth our shared destiny and our common vision on what this means to build a more just and inclusive society. So the Banyan tree has been the inspiration then for growing justice, of bringing everyday people together and leading their own change, whether it's a fight for environmental justice, as I brought up, related to Dr. Wangari Matai, or if it's a fight to help to address the needs in the community related to food deserts, whatever it may be, we've been able to use this model to inspire everyday people to have an extraordinary impact in their community. So when we think about this specifically, what can you do as a leader? As you're watching, what do you have to think about? I hope that you take just three steps. First, I hope you heard my story of what problem I was seeking to address. I hope that you take a moment to find your passion. Now, I talked about my passion being related to mass incarceration, but my vehicle as a leader to address that issue was becoming a civil rights attorney. And I was aspired to become a civil rights attorney after a trip to South Africa. And when I traveled to South Africa, I learned about this important term that changed my life. It's called Ubuntu. And it's a notion that a person is a person through others. So all of a sudden, I had to think more critically of what is my connection to my community? How can I be a change agent? And how can I do this in partnership, an empowerment paradigm with others? So I was inspired by the words of Archbishop Tutu. He reminds us that if we believe in Ubuntu, that we're willing to go the extra mile in everything that we do. So my daily challenge is going the extra mile in criminal justice reform in order to end mass incarceration. Next, we have a challenge to redefine leadership. It's tempting to say you're a leader because you're the adult and you have the position, you have the title. But what's amazed me over the past 14 years as an educator is how my students have led meaningful change. So when I think about this, I think about the essence of servant leadership, that it's really about your conscious efforts on serving and making an impact in the community that should inspire you to lead. And how can we do that? Oh, you're ready for my next leadership challenge. It's by taking action and getting involved. And so for me, of course, I talked about mass incarceration. So here's a few ways that you can get involved. You can join in, follow online on social media, the Free America campaign to support ending mass incarceration. You can support for the school to prison pipeline, more restorative justice practices being used in schools. You can raise awareness. You can talk about campaigns like the Restore the Vote campaign, which seeks to accomplish having those folks who are in our community paying taxes, 
being a part of civic engagement, that their right to vote is restored, that their felony conviction and probation or their status in the criminal justice system should not restrict their access to the ballot box. What else can you do? Readers are leaders is the notion of our work. Leaders are readers, so it means you should start reading. Start a book club. Read books like Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson or Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow. So in closing, as I think about how this ties together on my life's journey, I've been reminded as we started the Leaders Are Readers campaign and started to focus on these literacy gaps that there's no problem too big to solve. That we can, just like a puzzle, take our piece of the puzzle and start to bring it all together collectively and that's how we'll bring social change. That's how we'll manifest change on some of the large pressing social justice issues of our time. So the notion that keeps me inspired related to this work, it impacts millions of people's lives, families all across the nation. We can be impactful if we take on that mantra of that old civil rights song, that we are the ones, we are the ones that we've been waiting for. Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League. Thanks to our generous sponsors, the Bush Foundation and Comcast.